welcome. I want to welcome our LaGrange campus. What an, oh, just an amazing time of worship this morning. I want us to give both of our bands at both of our campuses a huge round of applause. I mean, it takes me back to t-ball. You know, when I was growing up, I played t-ball back in Oklahoma, and you never missed because the ball was always on the tee, okay? So I'm just going to tell you, coming up here and speaking to you guys at both of our campuses after worship like we had this morning, oh my gosh, man. I mean, that's like eating a whole cheesecake before you come to church, right? I mean, not really good, but you know, you're excited about it. So look at your neighbor real quick and say, I'm happy today. All right, some of you go, you're faking it. All right, so if you're faking it, you're okay, because uh, we're in our last week of this series called Happy, and uh, some of you over the last couple weeks, you're like, wow, I've never experienced this type of happiness in my life, because for the first time, I realized it's not just an emotion, like it's, it's not just something I can possess, like money or things or cars, it doesn't make me more happy. It's not even a circumstance that I really find myself in. But it really is this place that when Jesus gave us these words in the Sermon on the Mount, it it just really changes us. So I want to tell you a little secret today. This is kind of like personal to me. And um, one of the things that that I've learned in the last seven, eight months of my life and, and as I prepare is Tracy sometimes comes to me and says, Sean, you just need to be honest. Like you just need to get up there and tell them what happened. (laughs) So I want to tell you that, um, As a pastor and as a preacher, sometimes it's not easy to prepare to speak. You say, well, yeah, you speak in front of people all the time. No, I'm not talking about that, okay? The communication side for me is not the hard part. For me personally, sometimes it's the things that God has to take me through to get me to stand up here and preach the word the way that he wants me to preach the word. Now, I know this sounds weird to you guys, but if you see me out in the community and you watch me going through something in my life sometimes, you may go, ah, God's taking him through that because he wants us to hear it through the eyes of how he experienced it. It's crazy. I mean, whether you realize this or not, pastors, preachers, communicators, I truly believe that Many times in my life, God will not allow me to stand up and speak to you until he has baked something into my soul. Now, some of you go, oh, that's really bad for you. (laughs) Because what if you got to preach on something really difficult? Yeah, it is. It's challenging. Our staff team, they see it. The people in my life that are closest to me, they see it. Sometimes they watch me struggle through the things that I just go, why do I have to experience this firsthand? Why can't I just stand up and speak it to God's people like, you know, like I'm an expert or something? And the truth is this, listen, every great pastor, communicator, leader that I know, until it is baked in their soul, they're really not ready to stand up and tell you about it. In fact, I'm gonna tell you, you ought to be aware of people who can just stand up and tell you truth from God's word and they themselves haven't learned to begin to walk it out in their own life. So I want to tell you today as a confession, like some of what I'm going to talk to you about today on this last day of our happy series, I felt like literally I have walked it out this week. You know, one of the things I do is I read memoirs of old Christian leaders. One of the heroes of the faith for me is a guy by the name of Oswald Chambers. He wrote the book, My Utmost for His Highest. 
I read that book and I go, oh my gosh, that's such an amazing word. What a great devotional. What a great thought. And then I read his memoirs about his history. They said he spent a third of his life in depression. (laughs) And I go, whoa, could it be that God had to take him through it so that when he sat down and penned that famous devotional book that you and I could benefit from it? Man, I want to tell you that that is a daunting process, but it is a good process because at the end of the day, I think God wants to bake it in all of us. Amen. God doesn't want it to just show up in our life and we just go, wow, now I know this. God wants to say, no, no, no. I want to bring a proofing tool into your life. Not just a pruning tool. Those are different, right? Those are things God wants to extract from us. But I want to bring a proofing tool because here's what I know today and I want to proclaim to you. LaGrange, if you're listening to me, Noonan, if you're listening to me, here's the truth. Everything that happens in our life goes through the filter of our Father's faithfulness. Can I get an amen? All right, I'm not even trying today. I'm just telling you. Everything, as we talk about this passage today, everything in our life comes through the faithfulness of our Father who says, I want to do something great in you. And that's what Jesus was really trying to teach us in the Sermon on the Mount. He was trying to help us understand there are these things. And it's not about all the external. It's about the internal. It's about changing us from the inside out. You know, I started thinking about it this week because we're wrapping up this series and It's really challenging in four weeks to do this series because there's really eight Beatitudes, but there's really four that we've really focused on. And today we're going to look at the fourth. Have you ever noticed we live in a chaotic world? Like just really chaotic. Like the other day I was looking at some of the headlines of the last 10 to 14 days or really even the last couple of months. Listen to this. Singapore, 6.5 magnitude earthquake. Not a normal day in Singapore. Okay, ISIS beheads 21 Egyptian Christians. Wow, that's like crazy. Okay, the next one. More than 100 cases of the measles now confirmed in the U.S. You go, oh my gosh, I don't want my kid around anyone who's not been vaccinated. I hear, I hear parents asking that question. Have your children been vaccinated? Because they're not playing with my... It's getting weird. Okay, if that wasn't bad enough, you, UCLA Health System found this week that there are seven patients right now in America infected with a drug-resistant strain of a bacteria that they have no idea and they think that these people may have exposed 100 other people and it's way worse than the measles. <laughs> we live in a chaotic world. We live in a crazy world. I mean, mass shootings in France, mass shootings in Copenhagen, Places of the world that have always been known for places of somewhat peaceful people. And we look at our world many times and we think, wow. You see, this message was not birthed in me Monday. This message was birthed in me the week of Thanksgiving. When we knew that we were going to preach this series, I sat at my in-law's house in Dallas, Texas, And like many of you, that week of Thanksgiving, I watched our world kind of become a little bit more chaotic. I watched as people rioted in the streets of Ferguson, Missouri and burned down houses and burned down businesses. And I thought to myself, we live in a chaotic world. I mean, how do we deal with such chaos? And and here's really what I noticed when I look at all these headlines. 
Have you ever noticed that in our world, there are two types of people? There really are. There are peacemakers and there are peace takers. I mean, really. I mean, when you look at our world, it really kind of boils down to the fact that there are usually two types of people. There are people that want to make peace and there are people who seem to want to take peace from our world. And the problem with all that and all this chaos that we live in is that it's created a world full of skepticism and it's created a world full of conspiracy. We feel as if everyone's out to get somebody. We look at our world like, man, nobody has any common belief anymore. Like, what happened to our world? And what happens is we begin to struggle with this in our life because what we realize is what we don't see in the world, sometimes we look within and we don't see it there either. Because it's hard to promote what we may not possess. So today, as we look at this passage, Jesus, (laughs) in Matthew chapter 5, wants to tell us something that I think literally could change not only your life, I think it could change your family. I think it could change our communities. I know it will change our schools. I think it could change our businesses. But let me tell you the best part. It can change you. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning over there, let me tell you this as we get ready to look at this idea of peace. Peace always seeks to reconcile and restore a right relationship. It always does. And we struggle sometimes with this because we think that peace is passivity. So I've entitled the talk today, We Need to Wage Peace. Okay, like we talk a lot about waging war, like someone does something to us and we're like, man, I'm just going to go wage war. But how differently could our society look if we wage peace? Because if peace is about reconciling and restoring back into a right relationship, because peace always seeks that, then we need to understand why we struggle with peace. Now, here's one of the reasons we struggle with peace. We struggle with peace because since the Garden of Eden... Since the day that you and I were born, since the day that Adam and Eve sinned, we've had a problem. And the challenge to that is this. We think peace is fairness. But the truth is, fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. I mean, think about that. Fairness is not the source of peace. If it was... There would never be any peace in the world because fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. Suddenly we were kicked out of the garden because we found ourselves in in a place of sin, a place of separation between us and God. So fairness is not the source of peace. There has to be something more about that. It's kind of like this. I've noticed in our society, we have movements built around peace. I mean, we have people building movements to end injustice. We have people struggling with how to find peace even though they have a movement. Isn't that weird? I mean, we can call out the problem, right? Remember what I said? We can do really good. Our news sources teach us we can call out the problem. But few people understand how to make peace. It's one thing to call attention to the problem. It's another thing to call it out and reconcile it. 
You see, we deal, we deal with this in our own life. How many of you guys have ever had a situation come into your life that ended up not being fair? Raise your hand. Yeah. <laughs> How many of you struggled longer than a couple of days with that? Raise your hand. All right. Both campuses. Yes. Some of you would love to stand and testify, right? Like I've gone through things in my life that at the end of the day, I have a hard time reconciling them in a peaceful way because they don't seem fair. Listen, we all struggle with that. I struggle with that. You say, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be above that. No, I'm not. I still wrestle with it. At the end of the day, I sit around and I count my losses. Oh my gosh, this isn't fair. I'm going to lose this way. We're going to do... And God's up there going... Wait a minute. I thought peace was bigger than all that for you, Sean. That's why we struggle with it. You see, to make peace, you have to wage peace. It's not a passive thing. It is an active thing. And that's why I think Jesus in the Beatitudes tells us how important this is. One of the heroes growing up in the early 80s for me as a young kid of the 80s was a president we had by the name of Ronald Reagan. Listen to what he said. He said, peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the ability to handle conflict in a peaceful matter, in a peaceful means. So some of us, here's why we struggle with peace as well. We think that peace is absence of conflict. That's not peace. Did you know that according to science, there can never be movement unless there is what? Friction. So what we think of in life is if there's no friction, there must be peace. No, 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 no. There's no movement without friction. So Jesus, when he coined these words to us, he knew what he was talking about. And remember, the first four qualities... The world, we talked about this, the world will see as negative. He says, hey, look at these things. When you're poor in spirit, when you're hungering and thirsting. So the first four, the world would go, wow, I don't know about that. But you know what? The next four Jesus gave us, the world would see as positive. And so in in Matthew 5, verses 7 through 9, we're going to read this today. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 7, the Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, Jesus said, when you pour yourself out to others and expect nothing in return, it's going to come back to you. You're going to receive mercy. The second one he says is this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He said that there's this, there's this thing about our relationship with God that happens that when we seek purity with him, We experience him to a degree we would never, ever experience him before. But then we get to the one today that I think our world struggles with. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The night that everything happened in Ferguson, Missouri, I sat there like many of you and I watched the television in shock and awe. And the one thought I had in my mind was these words from Jesus. Blessed for the peacemakers. For they will be called sons of God. 
So I think Jesus knew what he was talking about. Some of you go, oh no, everything was cool back in those days. Like they didn't struggle with the same racial tensions that we struggle with. They didn't struggle with the disparity of socioeconomic challenges, Sean. Oh yes, they did. In fact, Jesus probably could have been the greatest authority we've ever heard speak on this idea because when he walked into the world, he saw all the social and religious conflicts going on. He saw how people treated you if you were a Samaritan or a Galilean or a Jew or a religious leader. And I love the fact that Jesus didn't walk away from it. Jesus didn't say, hey, peace is going to happen if I avoid this. Jesus looked right at it and he spoke right into it. And he said, happy are you, blessed are you. Like you're going to have this incredible amount of joy and happiness in your life when you're a peacemaker. I'm going to say again, the world's full of peacetakers. Jesus said, you want real happiness? It's going to come through making peace, not taking peace. You see, Jesus, I think, obviously said these words because he knew that we were going to be in a world full of conflict. We're going to be in a world full of conflict. He says it himself in John 16, 33. He said, I've come that, that I've overcome these things. So you're going to have peace when you're in me. Jesus knew we were going to be in a world of conflict. Some of you say, well, I thought when I became a Christian that I get exempt from conflict. No, here's what it means. You get to have peace in the conflict. See, the best part about the Christian life, if you're a Christ follower today, is we're going to be happiest in our life when we're making peace because we get to experience a wild, radical side of peace that only comes from him that literally perplexes the world. So Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Happiness is not the absence of conflict. It's making peace in the midst of conflict. You see, peacemakers are active people. Jesus knew this. And listen to the promise he says. This is what's crazy because when Jesus said this, he said, happy are you when you are a peacemaker because you will be called sons of God. Now, how many of you in this room as men, you're a son? Raise your hand. Yeah. Thank you for that confession. (laughs) As a son, have you ever thought about the rights that you have of being a son? You ever thought about the responsibility you have? Many of you do. Some of you spend a lot of time in your life thinking about how you want your heritage to be known. I mean, I I wish some of you could have known my dad. I want to tell you about my dad real quick. My dad passed away of Alzheimer's about five, six years ago. He's an incredible man. My dad to this day, I've, I've yet to meet very few people like my dad, but my dad to this day is still one of the most gentle, humble men I've ever met on this planet. And here's what I loved about him. Everywhere I went... He never ruled over us with like strong words and, you know, I mean, he had a belt, okay? I mean, that belt worked, okay? And if that belt didn't work, he found something out on the limb back there. (laughs) You know, he knew how to use that too. But here's the thing. My dad, most of the time, didn't even have to do that. Like you just knew. He was such a peacemaking man. And here's what's crazy about when I think about my dad. Everywhere I went in the community, I knew whose son I was. Jesus says you're going to be happy when you choose to make peace because you will be called the sons of God. Sons have rights 
Sons have responsibilities, but listen, sons have an inheritance. I inherited a lot from my dad. So Jesus, when he said these words, he understood. He understood. This is totally counterculture to our world because our world lives on entitlement. And Jesus said, no, 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 when you're a son, you don't need to be entitled to anything. You have an inheritance. It's already yours. Act like it's yours. Go make peace in such a way that the world will know who's your daddy. I love that. You know, this is what God did for us. Think about it. Romans 5, 8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God went for us and he sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus came to make peace between us and God. Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker. Think about it. Did God suffer loss? Oh, yeah. The separation between himself and his son on the cross. Was it fair? Nope, not at all. He sent his one and only son and he was sinless. Was it right? Probably not, because you know that you and I don't always deserve it, right? But it's still true. Jesus pictured for us what it meant to be the peacemaker. I mean, there's blessings with peace. Think about this. James 3.18 says this. Peacemakers who sow and reap, or excuse me, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I mean, when you're a peacemaker, you're sowing, but you're going to reap. Not only that, look what it says in Psalms 85.10. This is a cool verse. It says, love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. That means that there's this intricate thing between peace and righteousness. So I started thinking about this. How can we in our lives wage peace? I mean, we know how to wage war. I'm pretty good at that. I I can be a very destructive person, okay? Like, you get me in traffic, okay? I mean, you know, everything's sweet and cool in the South till you get behind the wheel. Suddenly the demonic forces come out, all right? I mean, some of you, I've seen, you know, I've been there. You ever been on customer service hell line before? 30 minutes till you will be served. I'm like, no, I'm about to serve you right now. Okay. I'm about to go, whoa, on you right now. I mean, we all have that propensity in us, right? We want it. It's ours. And here's here's what's funny. At the end of the day, we look back and we regret those moments most in our life. Why? Because we were waging war. What would the world think if we began to wage peace. How do we do it? So how can we become happy by waging peace? First of all, this, we have to choose to make a difference and not make a point. That's a very profound word. Write it down. We need to choose to make a difference and not a point. You see, if you think you're right, you're going to spend your life trying to make a point. Some of you go, "Uh oh, (laughs) he's all up in my Volkswagen today. Okay, yeah, that's right. He ain't even got a motor in the front, okay? I'm all up in it today. And here's why. 
Because I see a world that seems to think that by making a point, that will make peace. And it won't. Listen, you will never change the world in 140 characters or less. You got to roll up your sleeves and you got to say, you know what? I don't care if I make a point. I want to make a difference. Making a point, it may make you famous, but it usually never makes a difference. I mean, think about it. I I remember growing up, man, some of the the bands that I loved were the ones that were the shock rock bands, right? They would come out and have a new album and be like, oh, did you see what they did? Oh, they like kicked a cat on stage, you know? And you're like, oh my gosh, what does everyone do? They run out and buy the album, you know? Got to see the kicked cat. How far did they kick it? You know, I don't know. But guys, listen, you may get famous making a point, but you'll only change the world when you decide that you would care more about making a difference. The gospel's not about making a point. The gospel is about us going and making a difference. As believers, many times we choose to lose the war in our ability to just win a battle. Jesus never taught us that. He led by the spirit of his life and the example that he lived more than by standing up and pounding his fist and pointing others. That's not what he did. Jesus chose to make a difference. Let me tell you if you're making a difference or not, okay? You ought to sit down and make a list of the things you're for. I mean, we're real good to make a list of the things we're against, you know? I'm against McDonald's. <laughs> you start writing it down, you know, I mean, we're real quick to share with the things we're against. Let me, let me ask you a question. If you sit down and you begin to make a list of the things you're for and it's way smaller than the things you're against, something's wrong. Let me tell you what I'm for. I'm for love. I'm for grace. I'm for the gospel. I'm for seeing believers grow up and become all that Jesus wants them to be. I'm for people, I don't care what background they come from. I don't care what their hang-up is. It doesn't matter if they're a glutton, a homosexual, a freak, a drug addict. It doesn't matter to Jesus. Why? Because I'm looking at you and I'm looking at me and he found us the same way. You've got to choose to make a difference more than make your point. If the list of what you're for is not greater than the list of something you're against, you need to ask yourself, what's wrong with my heart? Because when Jesus gave us these words, remember, he wasn't talking about spiritual disciplines I want you to attain to. He said, I want to change your heart because I want you to live in my kingdom. I want you to live the kingdom life. Jesus wanted to change our heart. I, I thought about it this way this week. The world around us can only be changed as the heart within us is transformed. Choose to make a difference, not just make a point. You see, part of that is we seek for people to understand us before we seek to understand them. And that's a real problem. Because then what you're saying is common ground doesn't matter. And I'm just going to tell you, there's more common ground at the cross than you and I will ever know. 
But when we come to that common ground, what God does is he looks at us and says, that becomes my factory to make peace in this world. Why? Because the Bible says that that's what God did. He came to reconcile a right relationship with us. I love this. We find common ground and it becomes a place of peace. So choose to make a difference, not just make a point. Number two, you need to choose to reconcile over being right. What does it mean to reconcile? How many of you guys still keep an old checkbook? Both of our campuses, raise your hand. (laughs) Some of you go, I don't trust that internet. They're going to get me off 50 cents, okay? (laughs) Listen, they seem to add things up better than I do. I can't tell you when I was younger how many times I would try to balance my checkbook and I would be off like a dollar six. <laughs> and some of you, you know, you're just like less anal than me, so you're just like, oh, dollar six, no big deal. <laughs> you know, we just go on, whatever. And I'm like sitting there for 16 hours going, dollar six, dollar six, dollar six, <laughs> trying to reconcile the thing, right? One of the ways that we can wage peace in this world that's full of chaos is when we choose to reconcile over being right. Why? Remember, fairness ended in the garden. It's not about being fair. You know, James, I think, kind of understood this because in the book of James, he was writing to the, to the believers there and he, he said these words regarding the idea of always wanting to be right and getting your way. James 4.1 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? It's that idea that you and I think all the time, I have to be right. Listen, if you have to be right all the time, you will not be a peacemaker. You will not change the world. You and I are not always right all the time. We get it wrong. But the cool thing is, when we're waging peace, we lose the desire in our heart to say, I don't care if I win or lose. I don't care. I care more about you than I do being right. Oh, I think the world just looks at us and goes, wow. I mean, think about it. As Christ followers, they look at us and say, well, tell me what you're against. I can't tell you the amount of times I've been in a community where people come up to me and go, do you allow these people to attend your church? I'm like, yep, we sure do. (laughs) Every single one of them. (laughs) And it's a real telling question, right? Because what they're saying is, I would rather think that my idea is right about who should attend church. (laughs) Choose to reconcile over being right. You see, we need to make a decision to surrender ourselves to God to operate and respond from his truth and then seek to restore and repair the relationship with people. What relationship? The relationship first between them and God. And then most as well as that between us and them. I think the world's waiting for that. You can turn on any news channel in America and get a thousand opinions. Jesus said, you're going to be happiest when you seek to be a peacemaker. Peacemakers change the world. Seek to reconcile over being right. Even if you are right, it really doesn't matter because your desire to be right all the time just shows that you have a divisive spirit. Jesus doesn't want that for your heart and he doesn't want it for mine. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and 18. I love this passage. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, look at your neighbor real quick and say, it's depending on you. Do that real quick. (laughs) Some of you feel the accountability right now, okay? If at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I mean, Paul was telling us here in Romans how we can live our lives and and how we can wage peace. He said, don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you. Think about that. How different would the world be if we begin to wage peace because we we sense and see there's a greater responsibility because it may depend on us. We may be the only one willing to cross the bridge. We may be the only one willing to tell the truth. We may be the only one to show tenderness. And yet Jesus said, you want to be really happy? Mm. Happy are the peacemakers. Not the peace takers. The peacemakers. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. He says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God so that no bitter root grows up, grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. And that's a very telling passage. What is he saying there? You and I have to strive. We have to make effort to wage peace. Why? Because it's not passive. It's going to have to be active. I mean, think about that verse. The truth is, if we look at our lives, none of us deserve what we have. I don't deserve what I have. I don't even deserve God's love, but he gives it anyway. But the cool thing is this. My motive becomes... For waging peace, it becomes this. The end goal is I don't want anybody to miss the grace of God. Let me make it real practical for you. Forgiveness will always outlive fairness. Well, they made a mistake. It's going to cost me a thousand more dollars. Well, she didn't do what she was supposed to do. And suddenly I got to do all her work. We've been married 20 years and I'm the only one who loves. She doesn't love back. He doesn't love back. Listen, guys, girls, folks, people. None of that works in the kingdom. Forgiveness will always outlive fairness. Why? Because you don't want anyone to miss the grace of God. Somebody may cheat you. Somebody may do you wrong. Listen, somebody may allow something to just go unobserved and then suddenly you got to pay for it. Here's what it comes back to. Do you care more about people knowing and following his name or about your own name? Forgiveness always outlasts fairness. Why? Because fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. When you make peace, people will see God's grace and bitterness will be uprooted. Reason why we have so many peace takers in the world It's because we haven't uprooted enough bitterness in the world. As Christians, we are the salt and the light of our world. We have the opportunity to walk in and in love and in faith and in hope and in grace and in tenderness 
and in passion say to the world, don't miss God's grace. You know, I thought back to what Jesus said here. It really brought me back to this point in my life. And we're going to close with this. When I choose to make peace, Jesus says I'm operating as a son. Sons have rights. Sons have responsibilities. And sons have inheritances. Have you ever thought that the little that you think you lose in making peace, that your heavenly father isn't able to make it up? The only reason you and I have what we have anyway is because he gave it to us. But I would rather lose in my name. I would rather lose monetary gain. I would rather lose in someone thinking or knowing that I'm right. I would rather lose all of that so that nobody would lose and miss out on God's grace. You know, I think when you see what Jesus said there, what Jesus said is when somebody lives that way, they're really going to be happy. Why? Because I say it just like the first week, we become more untouchable by this world. I mean, many of you this week, you sent me texts and emails saying, Sean, I'm so bothered. 21 people beheaded because they were Christians. Listen, ISIS didn't take their life. They died the day they knelt down and said, Jesus, you are my Lord. The enemy can't take from you what he didn't give you. Do you get that? And when you do, you start living in this radical peace. And not only do you receive it yourself, but then you go out and you say, I want to make peace. I want to be a peacemaker, not a peacetaker. Why? Because when I do, people will know who my daddy is. Have you met my daddy? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Whatever you take from me monetarily, he can give it back sevenfold. Whatever you try to do me out of, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Because when I choose to go make peace, people are going to know whose child I am. I want you to bow your heads with me today. I think this this word, listen, man, I want to change the world. I don't want to just endure till the day we get to heaven and it's all sweet by and by. Listen, I think Jesus wants us to change our world. And he's waiting for us as the people of God to decide that we're going to move out and we're going to change the world. Why? Because we're going to, we're going to wage peace. The gospel is a gospel of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We represent the Father. And Jesus said, when you choose to allow the peacemaking ability that comes only through knowing me, you're going to be happy. And people are going to know who your daddy is. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, you know, this to me is why I think we we challenge ourselves so much with this message. You can't wage what you don't have. If you don't have peace, It comes through knowing Christ in a personal relationship matter. Then you're trying to wage your feelings. You're trying to wage something that is not in you. But I want to tell you today, you can have peace. 
The Bible says that God sent his only son. He separated himself from his son and sent him to this earth. And then literally he allowed him to die on a cross. And while he was on the cross, the Bible says that God literally separated himself so that Jesus could pay the full penalty of our sin so that he could make peace between us and God. Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker. Today, if you've never made that decision at both of our campuses, I wanna invite you today to open up your heart, to open up your life and let Jesus to come into your life and bring you peace. Because listen, until you have peace within, you'll never be able to wage it on this world. So if that's you today and you've never made that decision, would you, would you just pray with me right now? Would you pray silently right where you are? And would you invite Christ to become your peace in a personal relationship? Just pray these words. Just say, dear Jesus, thank you today that you came and you died on the cross so that I could have peace with God. And Jesus, I acknowledge that. And I know that you love me. And today, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sin and to be my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, I give you the control of my life. Please fill me with your peace. Jesus, today, I receive you into my life as Lord and as Savior. At both of our campuses, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder if there's anybody here today who would say, you know what? I today, for the very first time, received Christ into my life. And today, I received the peace of God because I received salvation. And if that's you today at either of our campuses, would you just hold up your hand? Man, I just want to rejoice with you. Would you let me know that today? Would you share that today? Amen. All over this place. Listen, at both of our campuses, if today for the very first time you made that decision, just hold your hand up. That's awesome. Listen, there's a challenge that every one of us need to understand today. God wants us to change our world and God's looking for peacemakers, not peacetakers, because at the end of the day, the peacemakers will be the ones who represent the Father. Lord, I thank you today. Lord, for the one, the few, the many, the nine, I don't know, Lord, people all over both of our campuses who today for the very first time received you. God, thank you for this amazing word. Lord, you not only want us to be happy, God, you want us to thrive. And Jesus, I thank you that when you spoke these words, you understood how important it was for us in this world to be seen as sons. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.